Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Y'all good for real? Y'all good enough to howl real quick? One, two, three. Awesome. Appreciate Pastor Rodney talking about the Sabbath and, and uh, appreciate y'all letting me get a sabbatical or whatever. Um, I just want to appeal to you if you know any scriptures um, or any places where I can send my kids to send them off to a sabbatical. If I could just get the whole group and while I'm on the sabbatical, send them off, that'd be great, but I can't find anything in the biblical text to support the idea quite yet. It all comes back to abandonment and, you know, so anyway. So this morning, we are going to be in James 1, uh, 9 through 12. Um, we're in our series on James in the book of James. And so I'm going to do something that I've never done before today. I'm going to get on thes- my thespian thizzle. I don't know. Somebody translate. Anyway, I'm going to get on my thespian thizzle, and I'm going to act out a skit. I've never done anything like this in my whole entire life, but like when I was working on the text, it just seemed fitting, and then this morning I got here and I was going to punk out, and then Ant, who actually is a thespian for real, was like, don't punk out, you better do it, and now I'm like, I'm going to do it. But I'm glad that we're church family because, you know, if it's shameful, y'all will eventually forget, I hope. All right, let me read the text that we're in really first, uh, really quick first. We're in James 1, 9 through 12. I'm going to be jumping around to a lot of scriptures this morning, and I'm going to kind of be moving fast. Like, the idea of this text is grand, and it's intimidating to me in some ways or whatever, and like, it's only by the Holy Spirit I'll be able to preach it to you, and it actually makes some type of sense to you. Um, but I think the text is so beautiful that I get so excited about it that I almost can't land the plane or get my hands around it. Um, it's just an amazing text and what God is saying to us and what James is speaking in the text. So I want to read this to you, and I'm going to go all over, play, all over the place. Some of y'all know me to be schizophrenic when I'm preaching. Just get, hit your notes, and later on you just put them together like a Scrabble game or something. I don't know. All right? So James 1, 9 through 12. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, it, it, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So right off the bat, we're going to concentrate on verse 9 in the first half of verse 10 where it says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. What's strange about this text right here is that when you start looking into commentaries and listening to scholars talk about it, they talk about it from two different ways. So they can't actually, nobody has landed the plane on what the text is actually saying. Not that they don't understand it, they can't interpret it well. So They don't know if it's saying, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and then the rest of it is like derogatory to the rich person. And so, or is it both of them are actually brothers? The lowly brother and the rich person is actually a brother as well. And so, I went through some commentaries on it, and the way I'm going to, here's the thing, no matter which way you preach it, you still preach something that is biblically rich and true, but I'm going to preach it as both of them being brothers, okay? So I want you to hear that because for anybody who's like super theological in the room, I want you to be in here like, nah, he on, he on the other track or whatever. Well, 50-50, all of the theological people are on both sides of the track. But it's a beautiful text regardless, all right? So let the lowly brother, we have two statuses, right? Two socioeconomic statuses, two statuses of the heart as well, right? A lowly brother, and then we have the rich brother, Right? And and, and James is telling the lowly brother to boast in his exaltation, which is weird because I'm like, brother, I'm low. What you want me to boast in? I'm hurting right now. The rich to boast in his humiliation. I'm like, I'm flossing. My money's right. What are you talking about in my humiliation? 
We're going to figure this out this morning. But I want to act out my story. Um, this, is, I, this is either going to go really, really bad or I, I have no idea. But anyway, I'm about to become another person. My name is going to be John. All right? Because I just like the name. And if I was white, I would go with John. I don't know why. It just is what it is or whatever, right? It just means, just, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Everybody know name John is just solid. I don't know, it is what it is. So I'm John, and I'm gonna be hanging out with my friends, Clyde, Nancy, and Rufus, all right? So y'all ready? Either, either this is gonna be the worst thing you've ever seen, or I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna go with it. I'm going off the head with the story, by the way. But I wanna paint you the picture of this, this lowly brother and everything. I want you to be able to use this story as I'm preaching to bring it in context, all right? So count of three, I'm turning into John. Y'all ready? One, two, three. So check it out, right? I had this situation the other day. It's been kind of messing with me or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And so I, uh, you know, I took the last year off and stuff. You know, I've been doing my thing or whatever. I've been flipping houses since I was in my 20s. I'm 53 years old now or whatever. Like, life has been good. I'm sitting on like 12 million. I ain't trying to brag or nothing. But a brother's doing really, really good, right? And so... I took the year off, and I've been serving down at this homeless shelter or whatever, right? A lot of homeless people just, you know, living in the streets or whatever. They're able to come in and get meals and stuff. And I figure, I'm like, take a break. Do something with your time. I start going to church a little bit. I'm feeling it a little bit. It's kind of messing with me. But they talk about serving all the time. So I'm like, I'm going to go serve, you know? So I've been going for about four months to this shelter. And, um, you know, they love me. I walk in. And they say, hey, John. I say, hey, what's up, everybody? They love me. I love them, right? So the other week, we had this project inside of the garden. Inside of the garden, they planted or whatever. So, you know, some of my homeless buddies, they're able to come get vegetables and, and all this stuff or whatever from the garden. And we want to be able to give people healthy food to eat. And I just really love the whole mission and everything and stuff. So I went over there. I put on my clothes. I usually work out in the yard. I really don't have to work in the yard. I have a yard person, but I get dirty every blue moon or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, I put on all my dingy clothes and stuff, and I go to go work in the garden. There's a hot day out there, whatever. I'm sweating. You still awake? I'm trying to tell you. All right. I'm trying to tell you, you know, just my story. Anyway, so what'd you say? Oh, I thought you said John. Anyway, but so, so anyway, we go. We're working in the garden, right? And we're getting it in and everything. After we finish, we are dead tired. Everybody's left already. There's nobody left. But Clyde, my homeboy Clyde, you know, sleeps under the bridge or whatever. I started bringing him to the whole deal or whatever and stuff because I kept seeing him all the time. Gave him a sandwich one day. We became friends. And now he comes over and helps also. Nancy, Nancy has a baby. She's going through some things or whatever. And I've helped Nancy out. And then, you know, then there's Rufus. Rufus is, Rufus is Rufus. All right? If you know Rufus, you could just fill it in. All right? There you go. So, so we, I'm like, hey, listen, let's go get some ribs or whatever when we get done working. Get something to kind of eat. So this is where it gets crazy. We walk into this restaurant. We walk into the restaurant, and nobody responds to us. And, it, 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 and, and so I'm like, you know, I'm grunting. Like, you know what you do when people don't pay attention. Like, ah, ah. And the people are just passing by at the counter, and they won't help us at all. And I'm like, and I look, you know, I catch, you know, contact with this one lady and then this one guy, and they just kind of look at me with this kind of disdain, right? So now I'm kind of getting upset. And so I kind of hit the counter, like, yo, are you going to help us or what? As soon as I say it, they cut me off, and they say, listen, you have to have money to eat here. I stop, I look over at Rufus, no, excuse me, it's Clyde, because Rufus is in the back, chilling, doing something, anyway. I look over at Clyde, and I realize in this moment that they said that because of the way I'm dressed and who I'm with. I don't know what Clyde is thinking, but he's looking at me also, like with this kind of face. And we both turn and yell at the same time at the counter, Clyde yells, at, yells out, who the heck are you talking to? I'm with John. John will buy this place. I yell out, what do you think I am, some kind of homeless bum? I'll buy this whole establishment. And everything went silent in that moment. 
I looked over at Clyde, I looked at Nancy, and I looked at Rufus, my homeless friends. And in that moment, I realized that their value was in who I was, and my value was in me not being them. That's my, my deal. Hold on to it as we go. Pastor Denzel Harris. I'm just playing. All right. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. All right. So the heart just got revealed in this situation, right? In that context, you see the kind of, I, I, I wanted you to have that because I wanted to, for you to be able to put this in a live setting. In that moment of anger, in the moment of pride, John screams out the truth of his heart. John is not walking in a place where he boasts in humiliation. He's doing good things, but his boast is actually in what he's not, right? He finds value in what he has, the power he has, the status he has. His rich condition is a matter of literal wealth, and it's a matter of this heart and this lofty opinion of himself. But he's not the only one in sin. The other person that's in sin as well was Clyde, because Clyde doesn't have value in himself. He's in a lowly, broken position, yes, indeed, literally. But Christ is not a prize for him either. He's grabbing for something else, so he grabbed for John. He grabbed for a status as well. You understand what I'm saying? And so this text is kind of going to bring us into the heart of that and bring us into what Christ calls us into, right? So, verse 9 in the first part of 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Let me give you a little bit of a definition. This is the ultimate rags, the richest story, right? And so, lowly, the Greek word is tapinos. It means cast down, not elevated um, in place. Low in rank or social importance. Not lofty, humble. Having a low esteem of one's worth. Humble, meek, free from pride. One who is oppressed or has little significance in the world system. And exaltation is the action of elevating someone in rank and power or character. So when we usually deal with terms like this or whatever, we only know how to deal with it from a fleshly standpoint. What does your status and your power look like? When people walk in the room, we assess them like, you know, who are you? And based on who they are, we actually, you know, determine whether they're actually worth our time and they're worth our energy. Right? I want you to feel this pain a little bit because we walk around and we do these things all the time in our mind with what we value, who we listen to, who we give our time, who we slow down for, right? You ever felt, you ever felt when you're in a place, you ever rolled around in your car and dreamed you were in another car? You ever felt the lust of having something different? Like maybe been sitting somewhere or whatever and you just feel like, man, we're here to see this person today or whatever. And you're like, I wish I could walk in the room and have status and power. You ever felt that before? You ever been somewhere like a meeting or, or, or some people who are considered prestigious and you are sitting there and you're just like, you're watching them move around the room and kind of the power they have. And like, man, they tell jokes and everybody laughs. I wish I could tell a joke and everybody laugh. You, you ever felt that before? I felt it before. Dreaming of something different, just fantasizing about something that is like better than what you actually are, right? That is what this text is talking about when it's talking about being lowly, right? Being in this lowly place. The opposite of what this text is saying is when we are actually lusting for fleshly things. We're, we're, we're actually dreaming of the world's idea of status, power, and riches, because in real life, we may actually be beat down and trodden in that actual, real way. It's quite natural for the flesh that we would want something more. But nevertheless, it's still not God's way. It's a wicked desire, right? Let me read to you. It's 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26 through 30. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God 
chose, who chose? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. This, 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 is, this is James, this is, this is James uh, 1, 9, as best as you can lay it out. Let the lowly brother ex- boast in his exaltation. This text right here in Corinthians is showing us that God actually has a purpose for our lowly status. He has a purpose, right? We, 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 this switches the idea of being a victim, and it doesn't mean that a person is not victim, being victimized, being oppressed. It's not saying that at all. It's not saying that any of those things are real. It's saying that God redeems all of these positions by giving it a purpose to actually glorify him, right? It's a part of his plan. It's actually like, like now all of a sudden it's like, man, this might be a setup for something amazing, even though it looks like a hardship or affliction, right? It casts you in kind of that kind of thought frame. But he says, he chose the foolish, of the, the foolish things of the world to actually shame the wise. He says, he, he says, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You know what that means? Let me explain that. It means to make legally null and void, to invalidate, to make of no use or value, to cancel out. God actually has called you to nullify things. Let me put that in perspective for you really quick. It means any lofty wisdom, right? It it, it removes us from being a slave to what all the intellectuals of the world hold over your head, to what all the people of wealth hold over your head, what all the people of great status hold over your head. It removes all of that because what it brings it back to is that the only thing that is truth and of value is actually the word of God and what he's done to his son in Jesus Christ, right? Any of y'all have like Instagram and social media stuff and like you ever deal with like the schizophrenia of like you start feeling the weight and the responsibility of everything that everybody's posting, every new movement that's come out and all this stuff and you like after a while you're like, I can't keep up with all of this stuff. Because every single thing that you look at is driving you schizophrenic and it's telling you like you are not enough, you're not enough, or you ain't up on this yet, or you didn't know this was going on, oh my God, you better speak up and say, hey, you're a pastor, you better speak up and say something. Our righteousness is not in staying with the status quo, it's actually in our lowliness, we get to rejoice that we are exalted in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of those things need to be responded to. Maybe we do need to do some of that. But I'm actually free to actually fail at all of them and still actually wallow in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and let him help me how to approach those things. You get where I'm coming from? My status is renewed. It's made new in Jesus Christ. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, man, they're like, they're like, man, Jay, you, you end up in, in some rooms with, with some really important people. And, and, uh, and like, you know, it's crazy. Like, how do you function in that? And I was just like, well, um, I'm usually actually, the, number one, the least educated person in the room. I usually am wondering why, well, I used to wonder why in the heck I'm there. Now I understand why I'm there. I'm there because I'm actually preaching the gospel, and it always ends up being the biggest thing in the room. People walk out like, he knows something, he's smart. I'm only talking about Jesus Christ, right? I'm only talking about the love because there's nothing in this world system that will work properly or or produce fruit properly void of Jesus Christ in it, right? So when when you draw a line like that, you actually walk with a little bit of swagger because you're not looking for anything to actually complete you. You get where I'm coming from? You're actually like... I believe that when you drop the gospel in the middle of this broken situation, it produces fruit. 
and, and, and I hear you that you're saying I need these other ingredients, but I'm, I'm not there yet, but I have full confidence in this. So thank you, but this is, this is, this is where my peace is at, right? And then as God actually bears fruit in that, this is how he's actually pulling down the lofty things and using the foolish things of the world, right? You know, it's crazy. A couple months ago, I'm talking off my notes now, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Uh, like, excuse me, not even, maybe a month ago, I had somebody or whatever, a guy hit me up. He's like a crazy, like, I don't know, he's on this, on this uh, social activism tip. And he hits me up on Facebook on some like, yo, pastor, why did, like, he, he came at me on, on social media. You, you know what I told him? I said, first of all, my heroes are actually sitting in my church. I said, that's number one. I said, number one, don't talk to me about a community because our church actually is a community. And you haven't asked us what we do or where we be at. I said, but if you want to talk about, act, I said, I know, I said, there's people in my church with all type of homeless people, all type of situations they struggle against that I see them in serving in communities, paying for people to get their clothes washed at the, at the laundromat, who have, who have moved out of the context they were raised in in comfort just to live somewhere where it's like they're a stranger at. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We're in the room with heroes who are nullifying everything else that everybody says has to be. Do you get where I'm coming from? I'm telling you that, that I boast in you because I want you to grab that, walk around with that. Not, I'm not talking about in a pridefulness, but like God is actually doing something with you, redeeming your time. Even when it feels like trials and struggles, he's redeeming it, right? Maybe you have access to privilege and status, but when you actually set yourself in a lowly place to be used by God and you exalt him in what you do, is flipping the script. Y'all with me so far? James 2, 5 says it like this. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? That's the exaltation that James is talking about. The who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. That's the exaltation. Poor doesn't necessarily have to mean financially poor. It could be somebody who's rich who has actually lowered themselves. And, and, and as Paul, I'm going to show you in the text, as Paul did where he had status and then he just called it dung and nothingness and made himself lowly. Right? So this, this, this understanding slides around. But that's the lowly brother. Let's talk about the rich brother a little bit, right? One is told to boast in their exaltation, and the rich brother is actually told to boast in his humiliation. It's a crazy statement. I don't know about you. I don't like being humiliated. I was scared to do my little acting bit or whatever, but y'all cheered, and now you're going to get them like crazy. It's on now, all right? Let me read Philippians 3, 4 for you real quick. It's Paul again. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Listen how he starts like that. I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If we're going to actually weigh this out by earthly, worldly standards, I'm balling. I'm doing my thing. I have a reason to have confidence in the flesh. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Just think about that. I don't know about you, but I'm never going to tell anybody I done followed all, followed all the rules. But Paul is here saying like, yeah, let's, let, let's, let's see who's really been on, the, on their thing or whatever, right? He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Other text says, I count them as dung. In other words, he's like, that's a pile of crap. That's what the text actually says. All my status, all of my rights to privilege, all my rights to being lofty, sitting high. Crap. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So even though he said I was a law follower and killing it and nobody could stand next to me on it, he says none of my righteousness comes from that. He says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings because like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the, res the resurrection from the dead. Paul has status, real status. For people who will walk around and condemn you and be like, you know, you ever have somebody like call you out on sin, every little sin you do, and they're like, you know, they think they're so good. But you're like, man, look, I see you, whatever. Like, you know, you ain't all that, whatever. You sin just like everybody else. Paul would be one of those people that you get in that conversation with, and you actually would have a hard time in the argument because you'd be like, man, I see you, you actually are that near perfect. Like Paul's like, he's like that. He got his stuff together, whatever, right? But here he is. He has had an experience with Christ Jesus where God has actually showed him his wretchedness because Paul declared to us, he said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this flesh, this sinfulness that, that, that holds me down. He says, but Jesus Christ. So Paul takes his status and he says, it's nothing. It's nothing. He drops it as the foot of the cross and he's like, this is a pile of crap. God, I have nothing to bring to you. None of this counts or, or brings me any closer to you at all. Like, I'm only here hugging this cross because you gave something to me as a gift. You put your spirit inside of me. And the result of it is that though I'm rich, I am now boasting in my humiliation. I'm sitting here in the Word of God. We're reasoning, reading it thousands of years later where he's like, I got all of these statuses. And boom, he piles all the blocks up and then pushes it over. Garbage. That was Paul then, right? We were talking about Saul. Now we're going to talk about Paul. 2 Corinthians 11, he says this. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. Now he's boasting about his brokenness. Not the status he used to have but his brokenness. He says, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardships through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches that's Paul now Paul is scarred up for the sake of the gospel he's rejoicing in his humiliation right we, 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 read, we read deeper into the text or whatever, and you, sit, you hear Paul contending with these super apostles that descended upon the church, and they were all cute and glossy and all that. And they're like, look at Paul, looking crazy over there. Got beat by the lashes, got all type of, he's like a tiger or whatever. Come on, y'all going to follow him? They're trying to discredit him because of his scars. They're, they're actually rich and lofty, and they're the super apostles, and they're trying to sell everybody on their cuteness. Like... Don't we, look whole, don't we look like the Lord has blessed us? Don't I look highly favored? You don't see it? Sounds so cute. It makes my flesh sound happy. I don't know about you. I want to, you know what I'm saying, look like Will Smith a little bit. I do. I want to have it all together. But this is calling for the rich to rejoice in their humiliation. So we have to ask ourselves, like, man, what, like, what's the danger here? Why would the rich person, why would, why would James be saying for the rich to boast in their humiliation, right? We slide between both of these different places often, right? I think this is important to say. It's important to say because what I worry about when I actually talk to you about something like this right here is how in our society we're taught to 
divvy everything up by class. We divvy up by our, our skin, our race, our gender, everything else, whatever, right? So like we often will start thinking to all of these different things and like lowly, we're like, do I fit lowly or whatever? Or do I fit, you know, like, which one am I in? We play all of them, right? I'm gonna give you some examples really quick. You ever been like in that place where your pockets are hurting and you're just doing bad and you're struggling and everything just feels like it's falling apart? Anybody ever been there before? Well, let me find out the rich people don't know how to throw your hands up in the air. Throw your hands up in the air like you just don't care. Come on. All right. So we've all been in that place before, right? You ever mess around and then got that deposit, like that check you've been waiting on? Like when, you, when, you, when you're hurting, you in church front row, like, thank you, Jesus. You are a friend to the, to the hurting Lord. You know, you just worship them or whatever because your pocket's hurting. And then in the middle of service or whatever, like, it's like, bing. Like somebody hit that cash app real crazy or something. You're like, oh, junk. All my problems, Lord, you done wiped all my pain away. And then it's like, you ain't coming to church for like four months after that. Because like you're too busy just doing your thing, right? We slide from this, this low place to this rich place often. We slide around in it, right? Well, how about this right here? You ever go to work and have a really, really hard day at work, and your boss treats you like garbage, talks to you like you're nothing, and you got to sit in there and take it or whatever, and you feel completely oppressed and stepped on? Then you go home and you get with the kids, and now all of a sudden you're a parent. You're in a position of power, and now you're delving out what the boss just gave to you. Do you get where I'm coming from? You ain't got to say ouch out loud. But what I'm just saying is this right here. Nobody gets away from this text free and easy. We slide from, low, from, 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 from poor to rich all day long. You got to bear with me. I'm completely remixing my whole sermon because I'll have you all in here for two hours, and I don't want to do it to you. Well, we slide back and forth, right? We switch positions often. James wants to reconcile our worldly position with the spiritual position set in place by Christ, through Christ, and that is Christ. In Philippians 4.10, Paul says this. He stands in the middle of both of these things and, 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 and makes a boast like this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at length you have received your, you have revived your concern for me. He's talking to the Philippian church. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. He wants to let them know. Don't, don't mix my words up with thinking that I'm talking slick to you because I'm needy. He wants to make sure they know that. This is somewhat of a boast he's saying here, like, I'm not in need. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can, all, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying, I know how to abase and abound. He goes, I know how to have plenty, and I know how to have nothing, right? And he's not boasting about that from just a, he, he, he's saying that what God has done in my heart, the way he has actually steadied me and the way that God has credibility and the way he showed me to be steadfast in the midst of these circumstances is that like when my, when my, when my funds is low or when I'm, I'm disregarded and disrespected in the room and people don't see me as nothing or even when I wake up in the day and just simply don't feel like nothing, it doesn't move who God is in the situation, Right? Or when, 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 when I am in a place of plentifulness or whatever, right, when, when, the, when the funds are right and I can dream a little bit and maneuver everywhere I go, Satan doesn't slide me all over the place like he wants to because I have discovered that I'm a monster when I'm broke, when I'm lowly, when nobody regards me, and I'm a monster when I'm wealthy, when I have the funds, when I can do whatever I want to and be where I want to be. Either way, I'm in the jam because my flesh is wretched. So, like, I didn't come to a place where, like, I'm in need of Jesus no matter which way I am. And I've made my peace with that. And Jesus is my peace in that. You get where I'm coming from? This, that's what Paul is saying to us. 
He's not saying like, you know, I'm doing my thing or whatever and I'm good to go either way or whatever. He's saying it's a, it's a matter of repentance, people. It's a matter of repentance. It's a matter of looking in the window and recognizing brokenness before the Lord. God, I need you. On the good day, rainy day, sunny day, whatever day, I'm not safe on my own. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me but Jesus? Who will deliver me when I got it? Who will deliver me when I don't got it? When I'm lowly and when I'm rich. That's what he's saying to us. Saying I need Jesus. Nothing, nothing can save me but the blood of Jesus. And let's just think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus modeled out and lived out both of these dynamics for us. He is the one we look to, right? Jesus walked out what it is to be lowly, and he also walked out what it is to be humiliated. I'm going to read something to you in Isaiah 53. I don't think this is going to be on the screen. But he says, Isaiah 53 says this. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom we hid, who, whom men hide their faces. He was despised and, was, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 7 says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is Jesus. He didn't act like John. He didn't get disrespected and yell out who his, what his status was. He came and lived in a lowly place. Not esteemed. We rejected him. Let me tell you who we're talking about. Let me, show you, let me show you what it looks like for the rich to move into humiliation, right? We're talking about God. He's the son of God. He's the sacrificial lamb who left his throne, his heavenly dwelling. He humbled himself to be a man, re reduced himself to be spit on by his own creation, made from dust that he created and who he came to give life for and to, and to die and, re, and redeem the sins of the world, the sins of you and me. He looks at this corrupt and wicked world, he looks at our corrupt and wicked hearts, and he says, I will make it all right. And he actually comes down from his throne and reduces himself so it can be so. Talk about the rich walking in humiliation. He humbled himself to become like the light, likeness of his own creation. He's elite. He's all power. He's supreme in every sense of the word. He is the mold for humility and lowliness by the example that he left us, right? He declares, the bird's got a nest. The bird's got a nest. I have nowhere to lay my head. And what's crazy, he's the creator of the bird and the nest. You get where I'm coming from? He's reduced himself to redeem us and to save us. He looks at the lowly and says, I died that your sins would be removed and your status elevated to a child of God purchased by the blood of Jesus. He looks at the wretch and he says, I died that your sins would be removed to save you from the lies and deceptions and arrogance of your earthly status that scoffs at the knowledge of your creator, God. That's why he's talking to both of them. He's talking to both of us, to our schizophrenic selves. So what do we, what does it look like to functionally move in this every single day? Like, what does it look like for us, right? And so when I'm hitting both sides, I want, I want to remind you once again, I'm talking, when I say lowly and I say rich, I'm talking to all of us, right? I'm talking to all of us. 
You ever seen like a video on YouTube or something where a person's like on that, that balancing thing and they're like going over like the crocodiles or something? You ever seen something like that? Or some snakes or something, right? That's what it looks like. That's what the application for this text looks like, right? You have to walk with fear and trembling before a holy God and realize that you based on circumstances, because what you got to know is that if you are rich, Satan got a special trick lined up for you to cut your throat, right? He has a special thing. When you feel good and your money's good and everything else, he has sweet little nothings he's going to whisper in your ear, and he's going to be walking you away from God all the while. He's going to be pulling you on one side of the rope. Come, he's going to knock you off this way. When you feel broken, you're down, and, you, and your mouth is just flowing out complaints and, 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 and speculation towards God, like, yo, if you really love me, I thought you, how you, Satan's over here taking you over here. You get where I'm coming from? He just came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's, that's the only thing. That's his function. That's what he does. So, so application looks like this right here. It looks like you're not giving yourself credibility. Because I don't know about you, if I'm walking toward, off a, on a tightrope, I'm like, and there's crocodiles there, I'm like, Jesus. I'm singing hymns. Sweet chariot. Like, oh, I'm doing, <laughs> you, get, you get where I'm coming from? Me and the Lord are like this, because it's expensive. It's expensive on both sides of the game. It's expensive. When you're hurting, when you feel like you're up, you're not safe in either one of these places. It's expensive. So application looks like you're giving credibility to the God, to the word of God, that like this is dangerous. The problem is this right here. The problem is this right here. When your money's right, when you feel like you got your stuff together, when you just got your hair fried, dyed, laid to the side, and you walk in the room and you're like, ooh, ooh, I'm... Like, every, like, like, you feel this pride in your heart, but even the world is looking at you like, that's it. You got it. Do your thing. Right? And, and they're whispering sweet things to you. It doesn't sound like rejoice or boast in humiliation. It sounds like, get it, girl. Do your thing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, brother, you're killing it. You're king. All these sweet things or whatever knock you off your pivot. So, like, this text is there for us to look at and go, God, you, you like, like Paul, like, I'm not safe in either one. Well, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, I didn't know there was a rope right here over my head. Oh, okay. You get where I'm coming from? I'm needy. That's the rope is Jesus. I'm on the type, the crocodile's here, but, like, now I got a rope up here. I can balance different and walk different. I'm Okay, it's not so hard. I'm, I'm still moving with fear and trembling, but I'm holding on to something that I know is secure. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I can do it either way because I'm holding on to Jesus. I don't believe that I'm just okay falling either way. Wrap it up for us. Worship, you can come up. Verse 11 says this, for the sun rises with its scorching heat. Excuse me, let me jump on the back of verse 10. Verse 10 says it like this. It says, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is telling us there, our endeavors, this lust that we have, this craving for status, power, to be recognized, to be what the world defines as beautiful. Gosh, I want to walk in the room and people think I'm beautiful. I told you the other week my wife called me an intellectual. I haven't been able to get past it yet. It feels so good. I was like, oh, my God. I keep talking down to people. I don't even mean to. Just trying to walk in the light. I'm like, what'd you say? Okay, all right. Like, it's, it just does something to your flesh, right? He's saying that you're going to die in the midst of all of that. It doesn't produce life. It has no upward mobility, right? It doesn't bring us closer to the Father. It just brings us closer, closer to an eternal death. 
Verse 12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He ends that section right there by calling us to actually remain steadfast, meaning that we, are, we have a resolve. We have a resolve. We are resolute about the promises of God. We are resolute about the cross of Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross for our sins and what that means for us. We are resolute about our need in it, our dire need. Like we have come to the conclusion like, there is nothing. We're like Peter when Jesus said, you know, are y'all going to leave me also? When he was talking to, 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 to his followers, he said, y'all going to leave me also? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. This steadfastness is about this idea is that there, nothing exists outside of you, Lord. It's this place you come to where you're like, I don't believe in anything else. I know there's commercials on all day. I know everybody's snapping their pictures like, oh, I'm so happy we're getting it. We're doing our thing, other than everything else. But like, you, I just don't believe it. The only time I feel true peace and true joy is even in my hardships when I'm close to you. But I'm not talking about sweet things or whatever that you just manufacture yourself. This stuff is found at the foot of the cross with brokenness and neediness. Right next to a king that humbled himself to come down and get spit on and abused. He's the creator of all things. He died next to a thief, two thieves. Jeremiah 9.23 says this right here. It says, the Lord, thus says the Lord, let not the wise boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts Boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. Love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The wise man or the wise woman says, I got this figured out. And he cast down God's word in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. The mighty man feels invincible in himself, says he doesn't need God and doesn't need a savior for his help. The rich man proclaims his wealth and his status are his strong fortress, not knowing it's built on sand and in two seconds it'll crumble and go to nothing. The lowly person who does not rejoice in the Lord rejects God's power to save. Perhaps you feel lowly this morning, and in your lowliness, your issue of lowliness is that you just feel condemned. You feel beat down and broken because you feel like you are just too simple. You are just, you just have done too many things. You have too many things on your past. You've dirtied up your name too much. Maybe you feel like your just reputation is nothing, and you just can't comprehend how a holy God could ever love you or be on your team. Or maybe you have appetites right now that you struggle with that you know are simple before God, and you're just like, how can you love me? I don't love me. I got saved on the way to go murder somebody. I wasn't feeling bad about it. I wasn't confused about it. I was completely resolute. You're talking about the Lord accepting you with your baggage. And you have time to even consider cleaning up my sin. He just descended upon me in full grace, in full mercy, and snatched a low down piece of crap off the ground. I didn't get to get my stuff together well before I decided to come and follow him or respond. I was running away from an altar call, and I just, he just hit me, and it just happened like that. I don't know what else to tell you. It has nothing to do with what you do or what you've done. This whole thing is about what God has done and how he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He actually has come, right, off of his throne to be abused with the sin, excuse me, with the, with, the, with the abuse 
with the, the torment and the sorrow and then ultimately giving his life and dying for your sins. Your filthy, disgusting resume. I don't care if you grew up and your family was really good and really tight-laced and all that, whatever. It says all of our sins are disgusting before the Lord on your best day, on your cutest day. It's disgusting. Because you can't comprehend how holy God is. So you can't even comprehend, you can't get to the bottom of how, how, how gross a little white lie may be. But a holy God has no room for sin. And he hates sin with all his heart. But that word that we just read in Jeremiah, it talks about how he actually delights in saving us. He so much so that he sent his son Jesus to take the punishment that was reserved for you. And Jesus, who was perfect, you now get Jesus' resume. So when God looks at you, that, 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 that old resume, that lowly place or whatever, where Satan tries to say, like, you, you, you can only be here or whatever, like, because I know what you did last summer or whatever, and, like, you can skin and grin for everybody else or whatever, but I know what you did. Jesus, the God says, no, you can actually skin and grin because of what Jesus did several summers ago. You understand? I don't know what you've heard preached before. But we're not talking about come act cute and act like you got it together. We're saying bring all your junk to the, to the front. Like bring it with you and let the Lord sort it out. Right? Our repentance is not that we know all the answers. It's that we go, God, I'm broken and I can't make it without you. And I hear you. I hear you drawing me. I hear you pulling me. I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to even work through all of my sin yet. But I'm bringing all of it and dropping it before you and saying, God, save me. And then this process where he changes everything, where he begins to make you new. Right? I've been doing this 20 years walking with the Lord. Still an absolute mess. And he's still walking with me. The story isn't about how good you walk it out. It isn't even like we ain't here to sing songs and about your faithfulness. We're singing about Jesus, his steadfast love. And when, and, and when this scripture ends and it talks about us being steadfast, it's a response to steadfast love from the Father. Steadfast love through his son Jesus, right? We're love, so we love. That's the end of my sermon, y'all. I love you. We are going to do communion now. There'll be people in the front that could pray with you. So if you feel like God is tugging on your heart, if the sermon hits you in any way, um, come up and pray with somebody. You don't have to figure it all out. Let them pray with you. Um, grab me. I'll pray with you, however you want to do it. But appreciate y'all being here this morning. And um, I love y'all. Y'all can stand. Let's worship.